Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris, back from lockdown and blinking in the unaccustomed lights of the RNZ studio. In my last show before passing the reins to the capable hands of Dan Slevin for the past couple of months, I suggested the coping mechanism of treating the whole COVID-19 lockdown thing as a sort of mini film festival. After all, we generally sneer at big, obvious blockbusters, don't we? Here was a chance for us all to raise our game. It's like Samuel Beckett. You know, I admire the technique, but it, it doesn't it doesn't hit me on a gut level. I'd like to and hit this guy on a gut that, level. Stop it, Aldi. He's spitting on my neck. You know, he spits on my neck when he talks. It's to the credit of the smaller art house cinemas that they reopened as soon as they were allowed to. And while the great big movies remain held up in the Northern Hemisphere, there are sufficient smaller and artier films ready to fill the gaps. May I ask, which cinema have you been looking at? Which cinema? There's more than one. Yes. And it's not the Grand? But why did that taxi driver say that... Well, he must have meant it was the only one open. You see, we had to close the flea pit the day after... The flea pit? I'm most terribly sorry. Flea pit? I, I, I... But I have to say, your reaction to smaller esoteric films may depend on how adventurous you're feeling coming out of your bubble. The fact is, many of us took the path of least resistance during the weeks of lockdown, offered the chance to expand our horizons and explore the challenging and new, we often opted for the reliable and safe. And that meant small screen series that reassured us by never seeming to end. They just kept going until they and we ran out of puff. You're going to have to kill me to shut me up. This is my first album, I Saw Tiger. There's 28 songs and 16 music videos. I saw Tiger, now I understand. Well, now that we're coming out the other side, we're being offered the chance to appreciate the appeal of the one-off story again. The punch packed by a film that starts, complicates and then ends. And there's nothing like getting to share that experience with other people and talking about it afterwards. The old man was right. Only the farmers won. We lost. We always lose. Well, this week, three contrasting cinema films, all offering old-fashioned movie entertainment. Everything but enormous budgets. There's the ambitious horror pick, dependent on a central gimmick that's novel, inexpensive and cheeky, like In Fabric's haunted red dress. I think something's wrong with that dress. Don't tell me you're scared of a dress. <laughs> the dog ripped it to pieces. It's funny you almost. Critics tend to be suckers for this sort of incredibly strange movie. They're a little more lukewarm about faith-based tales of redemption from America's heartland, like Burden. Thumbnail description, Ku Klux Klansman comes right. They got no food. They're living out of the car. 
Am I understanding that you would like a room for that man? You know who that man is? I know him as a brother in Christ. And do it, Reverend. At least Burden has the benefit of a decent cast led by Forrest Whitaker as the Reverend Kennedy. But today's first big screen outing offers an unlikely premise a famous clown as an action hero in Resistance. Resistance is a bit of a misnomer. The French resistance against the Nazis does figure, briefly, but it's not really about them. It's the tale of a French-Jewish boy called Marcel Mangle, a would-be actor and part-time boy scout. In 1938, he and his family live in Strasbourg on the German border. And who better to kick off his story than American General George Patton? Imagine fighting this war... As a civilian, imagine not knowing how to shoot a gun, challenging the Nazis to save lives. It's Ed Harris, though, after he sets up the fact that it's all basically true and hints that our hero is someone significant, we don't see him again for a couple of hours. I have just heard an incredible story. that makes your sacrifices completely worth it. Being so close to Germany, Strasbourg is one of the first French towns to take in refugees from the murderous Nazi regime. Marcel's policeman brother Alain and would-be girlfriend Emma urge the self-centred comedian, played as a French Charlie Chaplin by Jesse Eisenberg, to join them in protecting over a 100 Jewish orphans. 123 children. Their parents were just killed by Nazis. We need to train them to survive. The traumatised children need to be diverted, and Marcel proves to be the very person with his wonderful talents for mime. He pulls an imaginary rope. He fights an imaginary wind. He plucks an imaginary balloon from an imaginary tree. Look, do you need me to draw you a picture? What good does it do to teach them fear? I think it's important to help the children laugh in the middle of this war. Of course, young Marcel Mangel is in fact future mime superstar Marcel Marceau. But when the Germans finally invade France, he wants to be more than just a children's entertainer. He wants to fight, even if his military skills are minimal. There's a group in Lyon arming themselves to fight back. We need to find guns, we need to learn how to shoot. Do you really think I could help anyone with a gun? Of course not. But your passports are impressive. Look at this. Marcel Marceau. It's a great name. But his artistic skills come in handy, particularly when it comes to forging papers and passports. Using them, the family brings the children south, hotly pursued by the Gestapo. And finally, they do make contact with the resistance. Welcome to the Resistance. This actually comes at the end of a thrilling, if a little implausible, sequence where Marcel rescues his brother using all sorts of cabaret and carnival skills to do it. Using mime to counter the enemy? Really? Why are we fighting a war we can't win? We can kill all the Nazis. 
can kill some. Or you can save some lives. Of course, this would be no problem if director Jonathan Jakubowicz was making a certain type of war movie, the sort of romp that Quentin Tarantino and Taika Waititi have made their own. Certainly the villain, notorious war criminal Klaus Barbie, seems straight out of that playbook. Barbie is played by German star Matthias Schweighofer as a Bond villain Nazi. When Barbie's not furiously beating up gays in a Berlin nightclub, he's shooting Jews and gypsies in a swimming pool conveniently placed beneath Gestapo headquarters. He occasionally stops shooting the usual suspects for a sinister turn on the swimming pool piano. But, like Marcel Marceau, director Jakubowicz has more serious intent than mere entertainment. After all, much of this stuff happened, though possibly not the swimming pool piano bit. Before becoming the most famous mime ever, Marceau and his family helped to save hundreds of Jewish children, smuggling them across the border into Switzerland. We want to take them out to France to see if we can get across the border. Tell me where they are. I don't know where they are. You don't know! Resistance was probably spoiled for a potential central plot. Marcel Marceau, the early years, the evil Klaus Barbie and the gorgeous Emma. Even Schindler's List meets the sound of music. In real life, saving these kids earned Marceau a légende d'honneur for heroism. And lest we forget... In every generation they rise up against us. Sometimes a powerful man, sometimes an army, tries to destroy the Jewish people. For all its clichés and dramatic licence, Resistance is enjoyable enough if you're mime-tolerant. It suffers the fate of many films with too many producers from too many countries, though, the so-called Euro-pudding movies. It doesn't really know what it is. But if you want to know how Bip the Clown became a decorated war hero, this is that story. What's the best way to resist? It's not to kill them. to survive. A number of my filmmaking, film reviewing or simply film watching friends are big horror movie fans, though they prefer the term genre pictures. After all, horror movies carries too many suggestions of low rent and low brow. Old fashioned fright fests starring Dracula, Freddy Krueger or things from Black Lagoons. But these days, the genre picture has gained some respectability, with award-nominated films like Hereditary, Get Out, Don't Breathe and A Quiet Place earning the title Elevated Genre Pictures. 
Well, can an elevated horror film still do its job, scaring the pants off you, while offering highbrow intellectual critic bait? Come in, Peter Strickland and In Fabric. A purchase on a horizon? I'm just looking, thank you. The hesitation in your voice, soon to be an echo in the recesses of the spheres of retail. In Fabric has earned kudos from the aficionados, mostly because it's downright peculiar. Middle-aged Sheila goes to an old-fashioned department store where she's greeted by one of those slightly daunting ladies in black who used to intimidate the customers. The dress is your image, onto what you project through an illusion. I'm just going on a date. I don't normally wear this kind of thing. Be bold. Your date will compliment you. The fact that the attendant talks like a computer or an alien or something should have warned Sheila even as she was bullied into buying a red dress. But it soon becomes clear that this is no ordinary red dress. It is, in fact, a red dress from hell. The sort of genre device that writer-director Peter Strickland assumes we'll all immediately embrace. I just find objects really fascinating. I mean, Schwankmeyer, um, Sergei Padajanov, Bunuel, they all used objects in their films. The Quay brothers... So it comes in that whole tradition of fetishizing something um, or this kind of alchemy where something takes on this, this resonance, this power. Well, maybe, but of course that's not the only reason that Strickland has selected this particular object instead of, say, the Army of the Dead or a big scary monster. It's handy, you can buy your horrifying antagonist in your local shopping centre. And I think dresses are quite easy to move around. You just put some wires on them, it doesn't matter if they're in shot. It's all part of that sensibility. I think, as you probably can tell, I'm I'm not massively into plot. But I digress, and it soon becomes clear that In Fabric is more interested in atmosphere than either plot, character, or indeed traditional story structure. The film rejects the traditional three acts in favour of just two, possibly to cut costs. Sheila discovers her dress has certain side effects. As promised. Thank you. You look different. What's that? That looks nasty. Maybe just the washing powder. I hope it isn't catchy. Well, that's Game of Thrones' Gwendolyn Christie, presumably there to beef up the credits. She's on screen for a total of about four minutes. That's about four times the amount given to Borgen star Sidzi Babbitt Knudsen. They and a few other semi-recognisable faces drift in and out of what, for the sake of convenience, I'll call the action of In Fabric. I would like you to announce the numbers to your telephone. 01632 960 Once we have established this dress is no ordinary one, it starts causing problems for Sheila, her family and everyone she knows. But just as we think we know where In Fabric is coming from, an evil department store run by aliens speaking English as a second language, and where it might be going to, nowhere good for anyone buying the dress, it shifts somewhere else. How's it going, Sheila? Everything's fine. What happened to your hand? Washing machine went bananas. (laughs) 
Sorry, Sheila, you're out. Act two features Babs and her tedious fiancé, Reg. There doesn't seem to be much non-dress-related connection between Babs and Sheila, but Reg did once do some repair work for Sheila's peculiar bosses. Does that count? Reg, Clive and I had someone over from Staverton's a few years back, and uh, we still think a lot about how nicely he talked us through the whole process of fixing our machine. And we thought, seeing as we'll be having Reg Speaks in the room, maybe he could do something similar for us. Well, it can't be denied someone's having a good time on In Fabric, even if it's not me. The camera and lighting crews manage to conjure up all sorts of weird angles. The enigmatic dialogue gets more and more pintoresque. There's strange music from the cavern of antimatter and everything else you'd expect from the elevated and incredibly strange. You who wear me will know me. What's that supposed to mean? It's just a cheap bit of mystery. The allure of the traditional horror film is that you suspend disbelief and go into that dark place, fearfully looking over your shoulder, waiting for whatever it is, a ghoulie, a ghosty or a long-legged beastie, to leap out from under the stairs and get its teeth into you. Such a pretty dress. But fans of the elevated version don't seem to need it to make any sense. They clearly enjoy being bewildered as the blood starts spattering and the flames go higher. Not my sort of thing, needless to say, but I don't even like department stores much. I must have been terrorised by one when I was a kid. Anything nice in the sales? Just a dress. I vaguely remember reading a news snippet about an unusual business venture in South Carolina a few years back. A bunch of white residents had decided to establish what they called a redneck shop and KKK museum. Well, that was weird enough, but the punchline was that it had recently been inherited by a black Baptist church. Pretty intriguing, but it's not the angle taken by a film about it called Burden. The weapons that we use to fight fear... They're not brutality. They're not wrath. They're not hate. They are and will always be love. With a name like Burden, you'd expect it to come from some old gospel hymn and refer to the problems faced by the congregation of Lawrence, South Carolina. But it's actually the name of, if not the hero, then certainly the central character of the film. His name is Mike Burden, and when we meet him, he's already a grand dragon of racist organisation, the Ku Klux Klan. I've done a lot of bad things in my life. Things I now regret. If you truly want to leave Clay, then your first step is admitting what you've done. Given that Mike is in his mid-twenties and working as a humble repo man, it's safe to say that Grand Dragon isn't quite as lofty a rank as it sounds. But he's certainly a long-time clan member under the heavy thumb of Tom Griffin, played by Tom Wilkinson, with rather more charm than the real-life version, I believe. How did you let that man in his house? Clansman. I ain't no clansman no more. 
Tom Griffin sets up the Klan Museum, effectively daring the opposition to take them on. And the Reverend Kennedy, played by Forrest Whitaker, accepts that challenge, albeit peacefully. But it's not the Reverend who initially turns Mike Burden around. He meets and falls in love with a young mother called Judy, played by another Brit, Andrea Riseborough. Look, I have fun. You did? Yeah. Well, good night. Good night. Oh, hey, sweatshirt. Oh, you can hold on to it. No, it's all right. Andrea Riseborough is one of those actors you don't recognise until halfway through the movie, whether she's playing the title character in the shocker Mandy or Svetlana Stalin in the comedy Death of Stalin. She's a real chameleon, as she is here as the pencil-thin, tough cookie whose hatred of the clan forces Mike to take a look at himself. He needs to go back to where he belongs. Some of these people are my family. Mm-hmm. Look where it got you. Can't get rid of hate. Let's replace it with something else. Well, the story boils down to Burton and the Reverend Kennedy wrestling for Mike's soul with heavy interference from outside. But first-time writer-director Andrew Heckler makes some effort to examine why anyone should join the Ku Klux Klan in the first place and why, 150 years after the Civil War, the Klan should still have such a firm place in the South. You don't lead a Klan, Dan. never going to stop. Even four years ago, New Zealanders might have thought that the Klan's legacy was a thing of the dim, unlamented past, like the Nazis or the Flat Earth Society. Sadly, that's not the case, as the last weeks have shown. In fact, Burden is probably more relevant than it was when it was made two years ago. We're in the midst of an epidemic right here in Lawrence. Astonishingly, the Redneck Shop and KKK Museum lasted years after the events of this movie. Though, as I say, Burden is more interested in the journey of Mike, played a bit one note by Garrett Hedlund. The heavy lifting of the film is mostly done by the people surrounding him. Forrest Whitaker, Andrea Riseborough as Burden's better half, and rap star Usher as his unexpected black childhood buddy. I know Mike Burden. Um, We used to hang out just like these two. Yeah? Yeah, a long, long time ago. <laughs> and things are different now. You know? Why's that? I'm a Klansman. I don't play with no black man. With so many directions it could have gone in, it's a shame Burden fell under the spell of the noble reverend. I guess partly it's because he's the easiest person to put at the centre of the story, and partly because when you're dealing with the Bible Belt of the United States, it seems that's the one choice you're given. It's God or the devil, no holds barred, as a preacher in an old western once put it. They may set crosses burning in the middle of the night. With a different kind of fight. But maybe one day y'all can forgive me. Hope God can forgive me. I'm sorry we never found out what the Baptist Church did with their KKK museum, but at least in Burden, the people waving their Bibles are doing it for the right reasons, I suppose. God knows that's not always the case these days.
And as we look towards better days to come, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris. I'm delighted to be back in front of a big screen again. And I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.